There it goes. Well, good to see everybody, and uh, glad you're here for Sunday School. And uh, we've got several more people here today, and so praise the Lord for that. And uh, if you're listening by way of live stream, we uh, mentioned yesterday uh, during a couple of the videos we did that we were kind of opening the doors today and letting them, letting people come if they'd like to come. We're practicing social distancing here, and right now we're still under the 10 that is recommended. And uh, with uh, the state requirement, we had done some calculations with the formula that they had sent uh, for uh, essential businesses. And uh, we're actually able to have about 30 people here. So if you feel like coming and uh, would like to be here this morning, you're welcome to come. The doors are open. And uh, we've got about nine, eight or nine people here right now. And uh, everybody's spaced apart. And uh, so very, very comfortable to, to uh, be here today. We've got plenty of room and would encourage you to do that. We're going to be in Genesis chapter number 39 this morning again. And uh, in, before we get into the lesson this morning, uh, we'll take some prayer requests. And uh, I'll mention the ones that I know of already. Uh, pray for uh, June Bolin, if you will. Continue to pray for her. And uh, the uh, chemotherapy treatments, praise the Lord, they're not as drastic as uh, side effect-wise as uh, they uh, could have been. And so we thank the Lord for that. They've adjusted some things with it to make it uh, more tolerable. So, But continue to pray uh, and pray for the cancer just to go into remission. That'd be a blessing, wouldn't it? And so pray for that. And uh, Jonathan, I think you're playing the sound back there on the video screen. There we go. And then uh, also uh, pray for a family issue for Miss June that uh, they're still going through. And they've asked for prayer for that. Uh, pray for Brother Bob Schwabert and the family. Uh, also for uh, Laverne Payne and um, Sarah Harris. Also uh, Jean Whitener. I was thinking of her last week a lot and just uh, haven't. Uh, heard much from her, and since she's been over there in the coronavirus and everything, uh, Jennifer Craig uh, got to come home, and so praise the Lord for that. She got out of her room, and uh, I know that was a big uh, burden to her. She was asking us to pray for that, and so she was so excited to get a chance to come home and continue to pray for Linda Craig, uh, also my sister, who we found out uh, some kind of good stuff uh, last week and some things to still be in prayer about. She's going again this week for a CAT scan. Uh, hoping to maybe locate where the problem is, and so pray for that. And then uh, I've got another request uh, that is relating to another family member that I cannot uh, share the details with right now. They've asked that we not uh, put it on the Internet, but um, uh, very much of concern to us. And uh, if, uh, if you just continue to make that an urgent matter of prayer, that's uh, something that, again, is a... Uh, as soon as we're able to share the details, I'll, I'll be glad to do that. Um, but uh, very urgent, very fervent matter of prayer um, with another family member of ours. So um, I'll leave that there. And then uh, uh, I, think, I think that's all the requests that I have for right now. Pray for the church uh, building over in DeSoto to sell. Uh, continue to pray there. Have you had any uh, leads on it yet? Or A couple weeks ago. All right. So we'll keep praying for that. And, uh, all right, is there anybody else that has a prayer request this morning? Miss Sandy? I, I'm sorry, I couldn't quite hear. Okay. Okay. Okay, give me her name again. I Shauna Charlotte. Okay, Charlotte. Okay, all right. And uh, this is a neighbor of Miss Sandy's uh, who had to have a double mastectomy, and so pray for uh, pray for her, Miss Charlotte. Okay. And uh, all right, anybody else? Okay. All right, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we're so thankful for the blessings that you've given to us this week. Lord, what a joy it is to have some of our folks back together again. And uh, Lord, we miss uh, the, the time together as a family and uh, the joy that uh, there is in the fellowship of your people. And we are grateful this morning that you're allowing uh, us to come back in a limited way. And I pray that you would uh, bless those that are still at home and listening by way of live stream. 
And, Lord, encourage their hearts. And, Lord, I know how difficult it is. And as I was mentioning earlier uh, to some folks that came in, it's, it's many times we don't realize how important and how special it is to us until we lose the opportunity to be together and to, um, to have the time of fellowship one with another. And so we do pray this morning that you would bring encouragement to hearts and those that are not able to be with us yet, that you would uh, draw very near to them and give grace during this time and give patience and uh, encourage their hearts. We do pray for these requests and, uh, Lord, many that need a physical touch and uh, those that are battling cancer and uh, those that uh, are very near to death's door and are praying that you would give comfort and strength to uh, them and their families, those that uh, are uh, uh, alone and, and, and recovering from some physical things, that you would give strength there, those that are needing guidance and wisdom and direction. And uh, we do pray for the folks uh, over at Beacon to have their church building sold and uh, that they would have that taken care of. Lord, we mentioned Wednesday night about Brother Matt Kaiser. Continue to pray for him and that you would touch his body and give strength and grace during this time, that you would uh, guide and direct the church and give them wisdom. And then, Lord, we do pray that you would bless our services today, that you would speak to our hearts. May your Holy Spirit guide and direct us and illuminate the truth of this word in our hearts and help us to fully understand it and that we would gain uh, some things that will help us to be more of what we ought to be, uh, some ways that we can be more pleasing to you. And so, Father, help us in this, we do pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Genesis chapter number 39, if you will. Genesis chapter number 39. We've uh, spent a couple of weeks now on this chapter. So far, we're uh, in verse, I think we got down around verse number 6 or so, uh, <laughs> uh, maybe a little bit further than that uh, last week. And uh, I want us to look in verse number 7. We're going to read a couple verses this morning. And it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast her eyes upon Joseph, and she said, Lie with me. But he refused and said unto his master's wife, Behold, my master wotteth not what is with me in the house, and he hath committed all that he hath to my hand. There is none greater in this house than I, Neither hath he kept back anything from me but thee, because thou art his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? We uh, have begun studying the life of Joseph in the last several weeks. Uh, one of the things that impresses me about this fellow, he's 17 years old when he's sold into slavery um, and uh, is taken away from his home. Uh, he's taken away from the spiritual influence. Um, he's taken away from uh, every ounce of what we would call accountability, outward accountability, that a person could be taken away from. And yet, he remains faithful to his character and to his God. He's a young man of integrity. And uh, I've shared this, uh, in fact, we shared an illustration several weeks ago or a week or so ago, uh, about the story of Cassie Bernal at uh, Columbine High School and how when uh, her faith was put to the test, she unwaveringly was faithful and uh, was sent into eternity uh, by a deranged gunman simply because she was faithful uh, to the, to the uh, beliefs that she had and her trust in God. And I made this comment before that that kind of a faith, that kind of a uh, purposing, does not happen at the moment uh, of the, the, the problem or the circumstance. And I want us to understand, and we made this comment last Sunday, uh, that uh, the circumstances that Joseph found himself in did not create his character. It exposed his character. Uh, character is not developed in the moment of the decision. Uh, character is developed long before that time. Uh, and there was a purposing. There was, uh, there was a, in fact, indication uh, all the way back uh, in the early part uh, of uh, chapter number 37, when we find the early part of jo Joseph's life being dealt with, uh, we find that there was uh, even then an incl inclination toward the things that were right, 
there was the, the idea that his brothers were involved in ungodly things and uh, certainly not young men of character, uh, as we've seen later on. And uh, Joseph brings a, a bad report to his father. Again, uh, very interested in uh, the, the object of doing right. By the way, uh, I want to stop and help you with something here this morning. Uh, we live in a society where people say, well, I, I didn't want to... I didn't want to be a tattletale. I didn't want to be... so. I, uh, you understand that the shame of being a tattletale years ago uh, was when we would bear false witness against somebody. It never had the connotation of exposing things that were wrong. Uh, there were certainly... Uh, there are certainly biblical principles where we are not to cover our sin, nor are we to cover it for someone else. Uh, but we are to find that sin, and we are to go and try to restore that person in a spirit of meekness. We're not to just gloss over the sin of others or the sin of our own. Uh, and we're living in a day where society has made it a shame to stand for what is right. They, they criticize us. They ridicule us, and they say, well, you guys are hypocritical uh, because you have your own faults, and here you are exposing the faults of others. Uh, God help us to expose all of the faults, not just those of others, but even our own, and that God would give us that grace to be able to take the correction and the reproof in a godly way and in a spirit-filled way, in a way that is constructive to us. Uh, whether somebody comes to me in a right spirit or not, if they are right about me, I still need to correct the issue. I think we ought to go to each other with the right spirit. But let's not get uh, swallow this um, untruth that the world has given that we are not to ever uh, point out things that are wrong. Because to do that, we would be a tattletaler. We would be bearing falsehood. The, the, the tattletaling was an issue of somebody lying and trying to bring shame to somebody with a lie. But when there is a problem, we are supposed to go to that person in love. And we are supposed to say, brother there, or sister, there's a problem here. And we need to fix this. And I would hope that if I had that, that same issue or an issue like that where I was not aware of it or I was um, coddling it and, and not dealing with it in my life, I would hope that a brother or a sister in Christ would come to me and say, Brother, I, let's, let's, let's work on this. Let's see what the Bible has to say about this. And, and there is something to, to be gained by that. Because God has given us His Word so that we could know what is right and what is wrong. And if all we ever do is look at the things that are wrong according to God's Word and say, well, that's between them and the Lord, I'm not going to get involved, then we're not doing our biblical responsibility either. And here Joseph uh, comes and brings an evil report of his brothers because they were involved in some things. So even at a young age, we find that Joseph was a man of character. He understood and knew the cost that it would take on his relationship with his brothers to bring such a report to his father, yet he still did what was right. And by the way, can I tell you this, that most of the time, especially in an ungodly world, most of the time when we do what is right, it will cost us. It's amazing to me that we get into what, what uh, some people term as situational ethics. The idea that I will do what is right as long as it is convenient and it does not cost me anything. But if it's going to cost me or if it's going to create inconvenience, then I'm going to leave what I know to be right and I'm going to follow after that which is wrong. And we're living in a day where that should be identified as just a worldly philosophy. But sad to say, there are many, 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 many Christians today that follows situational ethics. And we need to have a revival of coming back. And by the way, we are all guilty of it to some degree. Some more than others. But the flesh nature wants what it wants, doesn't it? And it is the battle of the Christian life. And we all face that battle. Uh, Paul, as great of a Christian as he was, battled this issue in his life. He said, the, the Spirit, he said, I, I, I want to do the things that are right. And he said, I find myself doing the things that are wrong. He said, the things I don't want to do because I know they're wrong. He said, I find myself doing those things. 
And so oftentimes that battle takes place where we find ourselves in a situation and for sake of convenience, we compromise the morals of God's Word. And we've got to be so careful of this. So this is where Joseph finds himself. He's a young man, 17 years old. But the thing I want you to understand is this happened long before he got into the circumstances that he found himself in. God had shown him what he was going to do to elevate him, to give him a place of honor at some point in his life. But God did not show him the the road that he would have to follow to get there. And I'm certain that uh, many times along the way it would have been very easy and very tempting for Joseph, who did not have to be accountable to anyone from home, didn't have a pastor to answer to, didn't have mom and dad to answer to, didn't have brothers and sisters to answer to, it would have been very simple for Joseph to say, I'm going to compromise the moral standards of a holy God. And yet he does not. He's purposed in his heart. I'm so impressed with Daniel, the story of Daniel, and how that the Bible says that he purposed in his heart not to defile himself with the king's meat. Later on in his life, uh, under another king, the king of Persia, uh, they signed a law. Some men uh, got the king of Persia to sign a law saying you're not to pray to any other uh, god save uh, the king for the next 30 days. And you know what the Bible says Daniel did? He went to his uh, prayer. He said he prayed three times a day. And here's what the Bible says, as he did aforetime. It was something that he had already made his mind up about. Now, there are some things that that we find in verses 7, 8, and 9 that Joseph had, uh, that he held dear with regard to his character. And I want us to look at those this morning, and uh, we're not going to be very long in Sunday school, but I do want to see these this morning. If you'll look with me in verse number 7, the Bible says, uh, And it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast her eyes upon Joseph, and she said, Lie with me, but he refused, and said unto his master's wife, Behold, My master wotteth not what is with me in the house, and he hath committed all that he hath into my hand. There is none greater in this house than I, neither hath he kept back anything from me but thee. And I want you to notice that uh, Joseph understood the value of maintaining the trust of his master, not just for the sake of his position, but for the sake of testimony, Jacob is, or I'm sorry, Joseph here, get the right name, Joseph here is living in Potiphar's house. Potiphar and his wife are certainly not godly people. These are not the spiritual leaders of Egypt. In fact, uh, as we find out uh, uh, from some of the background of Potiphar, and then of course we see the conduct of his own wife, that, that there was an ungodliness to that household to some degree. And Joseph was God's testimony and the only thing that this family understood about the God of Israel. And the importance that Joseph had in his heart that he placed upon the trust that his, his master and his family put in him. Let me, let me put it this way. We live in a day where Christians are criticized by the world and we have given them cause to criticize. Wouldn't it have been far better for Christians to have valued when a world person, someone who is unsaved, someone who is ungodly, said, that's a Christian, I can enter into a business agreement with them because I know that those that name the name of Christ are people of integrity. And we have broken the trust. And it has caused the testimony of our Lord... Uh, to in the in the sight of this world to be degraded and the world now becomes critical of Christians. Why? Because we have many times broken the trust. I don't know if you understand this or not, and I've preached on it before, but in Matthew chapter five, when Jesus was speaking of the similitudes, he speaks of the fact that we are the salt of the earth. It is to have a seasoning effect. It is to have a purifying effect. There's to be a savor to us. It's to make a difference in this world. He speaks of the fact that we are a light, that we are a candle that is set on a candlestick and giveth light to the whole house. But he also says this, that we are a city that is set on a hill, and this is the phrase that he uses, and it cannot be hid. 
Whether we expect to be this or not, we are. There are eyes that are placed upon every Christian. There are eyes that are placed upon our conduct and our testimony and our lives for no other reason. And I, I don't know if you realize this or not, but those that are lost expect more from a Christian. You say, Brother Greg, that's not fair. That's not right. That may be true, but the fact remains they have their eyes upon Christians. And these Christians say, we believe in a holy God that has morals and values and principles and character, and we believe in pleasing Him with our lives. And if we are going to be followers of Him, the Bible says we're going to keep His commandments. The, the antithesis of that is if we don't keep His commandments, we are not followers of God. We may be His child, but we certainly are not following Him. And the world expects, there's a standard that they have in their mind and in their view when they look at a Christian. There's a level that they expect to find. And can I tell you, we live in a day where they are not finding it. The trust has been broken. And Joseph, long before he had... This is amazing to me. I was reading something, uh, the, I think it was this morning or yesterday, just one of these little funny little uh, statements that says, about the time you're old enough to know it all, you're so old that you start to forget it all. But the truth is, usually it takes years to develop character. Here Joseph, in 17 years of age, has character that far exceeds his years. A man who understands the value of the trust that his master, his worldly, unsaved master had placed in him. His master had put so much trust in Joseph that according to earlier in this chapter and then even by these verses, Potiphar did not even know what he had in his household because he had entrusted it all to Joseph. If somebody had come to Potiphar and said, Well, Potiphar, uh, how much do you have here? You're a wealthy man. You're a man of position. You're a captain of these guards that are over Pharaoh's protection. And, and boy, you're someone of significance. Boy, you must have a lot of wealth. He would have had to shrug and say, I don't know how much I've got. I don't know. Go ask Joseph. Why would I ask him? Because he's over all of it. Well, aren't you afraid that he'll be dishonest? Not Joseph. That's the kind of trust. Not Joseph. He has put everything, he said, into my hand, save thee. Wouldn't it be wonderful if the world could look at God's people again and say, we may not agree with them, but we can trust them. We may not understand their God or know their God, but they are people of integrity. They are people of character. We live in a day where Christians excuse wrongdoing. We uh, are dishonest for the sake of material gain. Oh, how we've got to be so careful of this. And I think there's a valuable lesson to be found in these three verses with regards to the value that Joseph placed on the trust of a lost man. We don't think of that very often. We would call that our testimony to a lost world. But whether we want to or not, we're a city that is set up on a hill. And we cannot be hid. People are going to see us either for good or for evil. What are they going to see us as? I want you to notice the second thing that, and I hope we'll have time to do this justice to get all three points today. If not, we'll pick up here next Sunday. But the next thing that Joseph had already established in his life before he got to this place was Joseph understood the sacredness of marriage. Notice what he says here in verse number 7. And it came to pass after these things, his master's wife cast her eyes upon Joseph, and she said, Lie with me. But he refused and said unto his master's wife, Behold, my master wotteth not what is with me in the house, and he hath committed all that he hath into my hand. There is none greater in this house than I, neither hath he kept back anything from me but thee. Notice the next statement. Because thou art his wife. 
You're married to another man, and because of that, there are boundaries that exist, and they are not to be crossed. There, there's not an exception to this. And now, uh, hold your place here and turn with me to the book of First Thessalonians for a moment. First Thessalonians, and uh, we're going to begin a reading in chapter number four and verse number one. Paul writes this, he says, Furthermore, then, we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus, that as ye have received of us how ye ought to walk, notice this, and to please God. Very important. So ye would abound more and more. We want to please God more today than we did yesterday. And tomorrow, we want to wake up and please Him more tomorrow than we did today. The Christian life is to be a pursuit of pleasing God. And something that we press for, something that we strive for, something that we reach for. And he goes on to say this, For ye know what commandments we gave you by the Lord Jesus, for this, notice, is the will of God. Mark that down, underline it, put a star beside it, highlight it, whatever you can come up with to remember that phrase in verse number 2. For this is the will of God, even your, what? Sanctification. This is a setting apart, not, not only from sin, but to Christ. There's a sanctification, there's a purification, there's something that is to be getting cleaner and cleaner and more righteous and, and more godly as we day by day abound more and more in this. There is to be, the Bible refers to it as this way, growing in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. I, I, I heard Brother Andy say this before about fishing. He said, I've never, I've never caught a fish that was already cleaned. And, and I understand that concept. You come to Christ as you are, and I'm thankful for that. But there better come a time where you clean the fish. And there better be some time in our life when God the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of us that there is a cleansing of that, there is a purification of the conscience that continues to allow us to pursue and to abound more and more, if you will, in the uh, what the Bible refers to here as the will of God, which is our sanctification. Notice he says this, that ye should abstain from what? From fornication. There needs to be much, 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 much more preaching on this in the day we live. Boy, I'll tell you what, we live in a society. I was talking with somebody the other day. And, and you know, it's amazing to me how it is acceptable among even God's people sometimes for fornication to happen. And the reason they say it's acceptable is we live in a society where it's not wrong. Everybody's doing it. We were talking the other day. I, a friend of mine several years ago was uh, was uh, lonely. He was wanting to, to get married. He was, he was uh, about my, a little older than I was. And he was wanting to get married. And uh, he thought, man, I, I want to get a godly lady. And, and he went on to one of these Christian Christian. Dating sites. Not that there's anything good about a dating site. But he went on one of these Christian dating sites. He went on several of them. And he came to me one day. We were talking about it. And he had gone out on dates with two or three of the folks that he had met on there. He said, it's amazing to me how many of these ladies were all over me and wanted to commit fornication with me on the first date. We make a big deal about it. Can I tell you this? There shouldn't be fornication at all. Until the marriage takes place, there is an ungodliness to that sort of thing. Notice what the Bible says here, that the sanctification, verse number 3, that you should abstain from fornication, that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel. Now, our vessel is our body. Notice how we are to possess it. It says this, that we are to possess, possess our vessel in sanctification and what? In honor. Joseph understood the honor that there is in marriage. The Bible teaches that the marriage bed is undefiled. There's an honor that God places upon that, but not until the bounds of marriage. There is to be honor. There is to be sanctification. Notice he says in verse number 5, Not in the lust of concupiscence, even as the Gentiles, notice this, which what? Which know not God. The lust of concupiscence, those that are committing fornication, Paul identifies as the Gentiles who knew not God. This is the lifestyle that is expected of the lost. 
it is certainly not expected of God's children. In fact, it has told us that it is the will of God that we abstain from fornication. He said, Brother Greg, I don't see that there's anything all that wrong with it. Sure it is. It's denying the will of God. It's denying the sanctification that He desires us to have day by day. Joseph, long... Now, understand this. He is 17 years old. You know how many young people in the day that we live, when they get out from under mom and dad's house and they're 17, 18, 19 years old, the first thing they want to do is go sow their wild oats, isn't it? Here's a man of character who long before he was in this position, nobody was around. The house was empty. As far as we know, the, the master was gone. The servants were gone. Nobody would have known. But I want you to notice there were two reasons why Joseph doesn't, doesn't do this. The first one is he understood and, and, and was reminding his bosses, his master's wife, of the sanctity of marriage. You belong to him, not to me. That's what he was saying. By the way, there's people out there that may say, well, I'm single. I'm not under the bounds of marriage. No, but the person you may date is somebody else's spouse at some point in the future. And there is to be a reverence and an honor and a sanctity to that. Until the marriage takes place, it's hands off. You say, Brother Greg, you're talking to people here in the church building that are already married or up in years. We already know these things. But can I tell you this? All of us need to hear this from time to time. And it's about high time for God's people to stand back up and say that there is the will of God that we abstain from fornication. It's amazing to me how many times I hear of fornication that happens in the middle of churches. And I'm talking about God-fearing, Bible-believing, Bible-preaching churches. He understood the sanctity of marriage. I want you to notice, lastly, he had a desire to have God's approval on his life. I'm sure that he wanted to keep the trust of his earthly master, but not because he wanted his approval, because he wanted to be a good example to his master of the great God that he served. You know whose approval Joseph wanted? He wanted God's approval. You say, how do you know that? Because of what he says here. Look what he says. Verse number 8. But he refused and said unto his master's wife, Behold, my master wotteth not what is with me in the house, and he hath committed all that he hath into my, my hand. There is none greater in this house than I, neither hath he kept back anything from me but thee. Because thou art his wife, how then can I do this great wickedness to you? Is that what he says? How can I do this great wickedness? To Potiphar, my master. Is that what he says? He says, how can I do this great wickedness? What? And sin against God. <laughs> you know, we live in a day where we do not think that our sin is displeasing to God. We live in a day where where even if we do have that inkling of a notion in the back of our minds, it's not of any concern to us if He's displeased with us or not. I heard a preacher several years ago. He was preaching at one of our men's conferences that we had. He's preaching on the issue of purity, which I think is a great, great subject for a men's conference. And he said, you know, nobody falls into sin. We, we use that phrase, well, he fell into sin. No, 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 no. That, that gives the idea that he was walking along his merry way serving God and didn't see sin laying right in front of him. And he tripped and fell right into it. No, can I tell you this, that when we sin, we sin willingly and we sin deliberately. You say, how can we do that as God's people, as Christians that, that love God with all of our hearts? How can we get to that point? We lose the desire to please Him. Look with me, if you will, in Galatians, book of Galatians. I believe it's in chapter number 1. Let me, I, I, 
just came to mind as we're uh, see if we can find it. Galatians chapter number, I think it's in one or it might be chapter two. Let me take a look here real quick. Galatians chapter one. Notice this. Paul says in verse number ten, "For do I now persuade men or God, or do I seek to please men?" For if I yet pleased men, I should not be the servant of what? Christ. Joseph, 17 years. I know grown adults that don't have this character. I know people that have been raised in godly homes and in godly churches that don't have this character. The character of a young man, 17 years old. You say, boy, he must have had a really good upbringing. No. Look at Jacob's life. Look at the way he raised his family. He took them to Shechem. He let them go and, and get all this worldly influence. He let idols of small gods into his house so that when he went to Bethel, he had to clean house. Joseph didn't have everything going for him. And this is one thing that I think we've got to come to grips with. Joseph had a choice to make. I can, I can rest and cruise through life, resting on the way that I was brought up, resting on the, 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 the morals of my dad, or I can take God at His Word and plant my feet and establish my ways based on His morals. And by the way, I've said it so often before to young people, but it applies to everyone. We should never live our lives based on what we are allowed to do. But we should always live our lives based on the principles and the truths of God's Word. This is our measuring stick. This is what informs us of the character. This is what teaches us what the will of God is. This is what teaches us what is well-pleasing unto the Lord. And it is our choice to make. You know, I found this, that oftentimes we see the, the, two, the two choices that are out there. And we choose one by saying, I'm not going to make a choice. I'm just going to do what I want to do. I know by, the Bible says this, but, and we go on to excuse why we're not living it. Can I tell you this? Unless we sit here and say, well, that would never happen to me. Can I tell you this? It's happening rampantly throughout Christianity today. And if other Christians can fall for this, if other Christians can plunge headlong and willingly into this, then it is certainly something that you and I are susceptible to and must guard against with all of our hearts. There needs to be some getting alone with God and making some vows to Him. Saying, God, if with Your help and by Your grace, I will keep myself from this because I know Your Word says it. You say, will we succeed all the time? Oh, I don't know that we'll succeed all the time. But it better be something that we purpose before we get to the circumstance. It better be something that we have decided long before the trial pops up its head that we would make the choice. The psalmist said this, Teach me thy ways, O Lord. I will walk in thy truth. You know what the psalmist was saying? He was saying, Lord, if you'll teach me the truth, I'll go ahead and commit to you that I'm going to walk in it. Brother Greg, I don't, I don't, I'm not in that situation right now. I don't need to really worry about that right now. Sure we do. Sure we do. We need to know the Word of God. And then we need to commit. I'm going to sanctify myself to follow this book. Because I know it to be the will of God. A lot that we can learn from the life of Joseph. Uh, I'm thankful for God's Word.
Can I encourage you in this? this? This, I guess, would sum it up in a nutshell. We need to labor. We need to, we need to strive to maintain a biblical conscience. We are living in a day where our conscience, the, the, the center of it, the morals of it, is moving and floating. And while we still pride ourselves in our distance from the world, we are still removed from the standard of God's Word. And we've got to be so careful of this. Let's pray together. Father, we thank You for Your Word, what it teaches. Lord, I'd so much rather learn from the example, both of the victories and both of the mistakes that others have made. Lord, I pray that You would help us to have a heart that desires to follow Your will, to be pleasing to You, to get into this book and study it and to learn it, to know what it is that You say about these matters. And then, Father, that we would put them into practice. I pray that You bless the Sunday school hour. Lord, use it to be a help to somebody. Use it to strengthen somebody's faith and maybe to... Maybe to have a purifying effect on their conscience. Maybe their conscience has been seared or maybe it's grown cold and maybe they have quenched and grieved the Holy Spirit and they no longer feel the prick of a holy God in their conscience. Lord, I pray that perhaps a message like this, that Your Holy Spirit would move in their hearts and stir that conscience again, breathe new fire into it new life. We pray that you'll bless the service to follow. Lord, use it for your honor and your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. You're dismissed. We'll be back in about probably 15 minutes or so it looks like.